yes, in my humble opinion, in the world of scuba diving, um, one of the most important pieces of equipment, and arguably maybe the most important piece of equipment, is actually your mask. In fact, you can have like the greatest, uh, you, you can have greatest tanks, the greatest regulator, you can have the greatest fins, greatest gloves, greatest BC, greatest weight, you have the greatest everything, but if you get down there and your mask is all fogged up, what good is it? I mean, you're down there to see stuff, you're down there to do stuff, and you've got to have the vision to do it. Same thing with snorkeling. How many of you have ever been snorkeling or diving and your mask is all fogged up? Anybody? Yeah. And, and, and what's it like when you're down there and it's all fogged up? Foggy. It's, yeah, foggy. It's <laughs> worthless, right? And so one of the key features, this is where you see everything from. And um, so, so uh, there's some ways to keep it from getting fogged up. Um, it, it's important that you do this. Back, back in the old days, what we used to do is what? What did we used to do in the old days? Before they came out with all these great products, we did what? Yeah, dude, you just hawk a big loogie in there and wipe it around and, uh, and, and, and you get it all over there and, and it actually cleans your mask out. And, and in fact, did you guys know that fog actually sticks to dirt? Keep that in mind. That's what it is. When you're cleaning your mask out, you're cleaning it so the fog doesn't really have anything to stick to. And so we used to use spit, and we'd clean it all out and everything. And uh, then we got smart, and we started, well, we were using, back in the Bahamas, we were using Lemon Joy because living on a sailboat, that's what we were washing with. It would suds up in salt water and everything. But Lemon Joy had a way of burning your eyes, and then somebody turned me on to baby shampoo. And baby shampoo worked great, and I noticed on the dive boats, they would put baby shampoo in a bucket, and they would dip it in, and you'd rinse it around and get it clean, and baby shampoo was good. And then when I was in the Bahamas, or not Bahamas, but I was in the Keys a couple of uh, years ago, I was talking to some lady at dive shop, and she's like, she's like, oh, have you ever tried spit? And I'm like, yeah, we used to always do spit. She goes, no, I mean spit. And I'm like, yes, we used to spit in our mesh. She says, no, spit. And I'm like... Okay, I don't get it. And then she introduced me to this product called what? Spit. Yes. And she gave it to me because I'm like, dude, I'm not buying spit. I got spit. She's like, no, this is different spit. I'm going to. And, and, and so in this, I, I tried it. And dude, I've never gone back to baby shampoo again. Never gone back to my spit. And so what you basically do is before you go down, man, you put a little squirt of this stuff in here. You wipe it all around. And, um, and then you rinse it off in, in the water, and then you put it on your face. And once you put it on your face, you let it stay on your face because, hey, what happens to your mask if you keep taking it on and off, on and off, on and off? It does what again? It fogs up again. So once you've got it washed out with spit and water and you put it on your face, man, you just keep it there, and your vision is now clear. And so as I was reading and studying this week's message. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at the Apostle Paul starting in, um, uh, in Acts, uh, hang on, man, we're, it's 30, uh, are we in 30s or 23? Um, oh, wait, 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 here we go. You got me, JJ? In Acts 23, starting in Acts 23. All right, hang on, go back to the previous one. There we go, we're good, JJ, I got it. JJ, give me back to the title screen, man. All right. I can do this. <laughs> Go back. There, okay, I got it. Oh, all right. So as I was looking at Acts chapter 23, um, really the thing that stood out to me more than anything, I'm reading the whole chapter, reading the next chapters, but read with me this verse. 
Paul is now on trial, okay? So Paul, uh, they, uh, there was another big riot, so they, and they didn't even know why people wanted to kill Paul. They didn't even know why they were about to beat him illegally. Didn't even know why they arrested him illegally. Why they were doing this, this Roman citizen who was a prominent Jew and, and, a, and, a, and a Christian. And they didn't know why, so they brought him into the council with the Sanhedrin, which was what Paul used to be part of. That was the Sadducees and Pharisees and head priests and all the people who determined all the religious rules in Jerusalem at the time. And the Roman soldiers brought him in there and put him on trial to say, why do you want to kill this guy? What has he done? Nobody can even tell us what's going on. And here's how the story begins when Paul sits in front of these people. He's sitting between at least 70, 71 people there who are all religious leaders. And his intent was the same intent he had when he was... To talking to all the people in Jerusalem. He wanted to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That man, Christ has come. He died on a cross to pay for our sins. And if you surrender your life to him, you have eternal life. What he did on the cross covers your sins eternally and it takes them away forever. And you can have a home in heaven and be, have a right relationship with God. You can escape his wrath. That's what he wanted to share with those people, and it turned into a riot. So now he's in front of all the religious leaders. And what do you think, hey, uh, Dr. Dave, what, what do you think it is the number one thing Paul wants to share with these religious leaders? Jesus. Jesus, the gospel. That's what he wants to share. It's not about getting out of trouble, getting out of jail. Not about, it's all about, I want people to have the good news of Jesus Christ because you are going to be in eternity way longer than you're ever on this planet. It's not about this life. You can have the most successful everything by the world's eyes, but when you die, you're either going where, Gary? You're going to one or two places. Where? Heaven or hell, you're going to one of those two places, and how long are you going to be there for? <coughs> for all eternity. And again, man, if they didn't sweep the floor here, I've used this so many times here. I have 100 grains of sand I just pulled off of my foot. You're, you're, you want to count these 100 grains? <laughs> yeah, I'll get you some more here. You can get your own off. <laughs> There's probably 200 between those two toes right there. But 100 grains of sand, if that represents 100 years of life, all the rest of the grains on all the beaches in the universe do not represent eternity, but we live for this and we fight for this and we strive for this and we make our life about it. And Paul, he kept the gospel in perspective and says, I want you to be set for eternity where we can be in paradise in perfection forever. Not because we were good or bad, but because we accepted the deal God offered us. How many of y'all accepted the deal God offered you? You realize that you, you know, the only other choice is to say, no way, man, I'm going to be judged by my works. If you go read the book of Revelation, at the end, it says no one gets to heaven that way. No one gets there that way. And so Paul, he's gazing intently. He's gazing intently. All right. He only likes when I cross my eyes like that. He's looking at them, and they're like, all right, are you going to say something? Are you going to say something? Gazing intently at the high council, and he begins. Now, these guys are the court. They are the judicial system. These guys have the ability, if they deem so, according to their rules, they can approach the Roman government and say, you know what, we, we would think this person should be crucified or capital punishment. We think they should be stoned to death. They had that right. And so most people, when they address them, if you go to a court of law, um, not that anybody here has ever been to a court of law, but if you go to a court of law, hey, how do you, Roger, how do you address the judge? 
He goes, oh, hey, bro, what's up? What's Is that what you're, dude, I like what you're doing with that black robe there. Yeah. Is that, how many of y'all would address the court of law, a judge that way? What would happen to you? Dude, man, disrespect, contempt, you would be there. And that's the situation Paul is in. But Paul used to be part of this Sanhedrin. Paul didn't see it the same way as everybody. He saw that he was one beggar trying to show another beggar how to get a piece of bread. Dude, you need the gospel. I had the same religious situation as you, and I want you to know it. So look what he began by saying what? Did he say your honor? No, what did he say? Brothers. Brothers. Meaning brothers as Jews, brothers of the Sanhedrin. I don't really know you guys because I've been out of this about 20 years preaching the gospel. But man, brothers, I used to be sitting in the same seat as you. And he says this statement, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Oh my goodness, that stuck out, that stuck out, that stuck out, that stuck out. That's all I could think of since Monday and even the week before. That man, Paul just saying, I'm saying, what am I going to preach on one verse? Man, they're going to think something's wrong. I'm going to live out in 15 minutes. No, I'm just joking. Sure, it's like one verse, if that's what you want, God. And then he showed me how in the rest of this chapter, Paul lives with a clear conscience. He didn't do anything different than he's done his whole life, but he shows us how to do that. And so here he says, I have always lived before God with a what? Clear. A clear, not a foggy mask, but a clear one. And so your conscience, what that word conscience, Paul used it 20 times in his epistles, Two times in the book of Acts, and what it's talking—it's your inner, it's your inner soul, it's your it's your inner voice that's in there. Your conscience isn't—it um, it doesn't determine. Um, oh, how am I going to say this? Your conscience—all it, it, it does is reveal what you think and what you're what you're feeling. That inner that inner feeling you have—it reveals it. It doesn't determine it. All right. So so in this. Here it is right now. All right, so I go down below, and I'm going down, and, and we're scuba diving. We're looking around, and I come back up. He's got a foggy mask, and I got a good one. And I said, oh, my goodness, did you see that spotted eagle ray? It was black with hues of brown, and it had gold spots on it with, with tan lines in great detail around there, and it had highlights. It was so beautiful. And I saw that because I had a clear mask. But you know what Tom saw because his mask was foggy? He saw a big black blob go by him. So what I'm trying to say is based on how clear your conscience is and what your conscience allows to get into your heart and how your heart feels, what your conscience see allows you to, to have come through is how you're going to see things. It's going to be the detail in which you see it. In other words, how many of you, your conscience as a believer will not allow you to do things that it allowed you to do when you were unsaved? When you were not saved, your conscience was way different. You had a whole different set of standards. So it didn't determine it. It just kind of, it allowed it to happen. Your conscience changes how you see things, the perspective in which you see them. That, that, that's your conscience. You're going to react differently in all of this. So, so Paul says, I've had a clear conscience. So how could Paul say I had a clear conscience when he used to kill um, Christians? Well, what happened was, is what he's saying, I had a clear conscience. With all the light that God has given me, my desire has always been to obey God. How many of you got new light? Since you've been growing. How many got new light this week? God gave you new light to see things. But as best as you can with whatever light you have, you're obeying God. And then you get different details. You get different situations. And so the point is, is I want to share with you how Apostle Paul kept his mask clean. 
You know, how, how he was able to have a clear conscience and he was always working on being able to see life from God's perspective without the flesh being in the way. Because, you know what, when this mask is dirty, I'm going to show you something. When this mask is all dirty and I've got like, here, I'm an oily person. I got some coconut oil on it right there. Probably some essential oils. You guys hook me up with some essential oils. I got some cedar wood. You don't want to smell it? No. I'm just like, dude, man, this mask now, it's, fa- it's dirty. I can't see out of it. Okay, so here's what most people think they're going to do. This is us as a believer. We're the child of God. This bucket of water is the word of God, okay? Because it washes us. It cleanses us. That's a picture of the word of God even in the Old Testament, the labor. But what happens if I take this oily mess of stuff on here and all I do is wipe it into the word of God? All I do is stick it in the word of God. What happens? It's still smeared in oily because I'm missing something crucial. You know what I have here when I take when a child of God dips his life in the word of God without the spirit of God. You get it? When the child of God dips his life in the word of God without the spirit of God, you know what we have? We have legalism or liberalism. We are still now, we're just viewing God, God's word from our own perspective, from our own circumstances, from the flesh. You can't just take the word of God as a carnal being and, and dip your life into it and expect it to be different. The, the child of God, if I say the child of God, needs the Spirit of God to help us apply the Word of God. Do you see the difference? What's the difference between dipping it just in the Word of God? What's the difference? I have the Spirit of God interpreting it for me, showing me what to do with it, how to apply it. What does God say about his word? It's dead. It's stagnant. It was only good back then. It's duller than any two-edged sword. And what does he say? Say, what does he say the word of God is? Alive. Alive. It's what? Sharper than any two-edged sword. It's relevant to us. But who makes his word relevant to us? Is it your intellectual mind? Is, is it your, what you learned in college, uh, you know, and figuring things out? Is it, is it? Man, what happens to people like me who ain't the sharpest marbles in the box? You know what I'm saying? If it was just me using my brain power to try to figure out the word of God, all I'm going to come up with is some legalism or liberalism, and I'm going to be seeing it. I'm going to teach a whole church how to see things through this kind of perspective right here. So what I'm trying to say, man, is that the, who's this? The Carl, the child of God. All right, the child of God needs the... The Spirit of God to apply to its life the Word of God. And then now, look, dude, it's clear. And I can see life from God's perspective. Don't miss any of that. And this is what Paul is going to say. This is how he can say, I see with a clear conscience. Before he was saved, he had the Pentateuch. He had the Word. He had what Gamaliel taught him, but he didn't have the Spirit of God. That's why he was going out honoring God by killing Christians. But when he got born again, now he's seeing it right. And now he's sharing the gospel. Now he doesn't even care about his own life. For me to live as Christ, to die as what? Yeah, better. That's what he says. He doesn't care. Oh, pick up that snake. All right, good. I get bit. I die. I go to be with Jesus. Oh, dude, I'm healed again. All right, you must need me here. He's still here. So gazing intently at the high council, man, he wants to share the gospel. He says, brothers, not your honor. Oh, high council, who's determining where I go and what happens to me? Because who's determining where Paul goes and what happens? 
Who's determining where you go and what happens? Yes, it's God Almighty. It's not your boss. It's not our president. It's not the UN. It's not the world powers. It's none of that. It's God Almighty. Can I hear an amen? amen. Yes, do you believe in God's sovereignty? Yes, he's in control of what? Everything. Everything, including the junk that's in our life that we don't like. But little do we know God's using the wind, water, sand, and, and he waves to try to not destroy us, but make us more beautiful. I love when Zane talked about that nominal two-by-four. How many of y'all want to put a nominal two-by-four up, up on your mantle and say, oh, look at that beautiful piece of wood? But dude, you got to, where'd you get that piece of driftwood? Did you ever look at the intricacies? It's almost getting ready to get cold again so we can go out on the island and have Bible study out there with a fire and look at the beautiful driftwood that's out there. But it didn't get there without any trouble. <laughs> hey, are you a prettier piece of driftwood because of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? Friday, you were a prettier piece of driftwood. How about you, Christy? Yeah. She's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Zane says you are. So he says, gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, brothers, <laughs> brothers, guys, I was where you were. I believed what you believed. Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Man, I'm seeing things from God's perspective. I, I've, I've got a clear mask right now, and I want to share this with you. And so, again, the key and what I really want to share with you today, what I want you to walk away from is, and it's not going to come up, is is living with a clear conscience before who? God. Yeah. Because you know, how many of y'all know everybody sees stuff from different perspectives? Everybody judges what you do or, uh, or interprets what you do from different perspectives. And we do need to straighten those things out among believers and among each other. But the one that we live for, it's an audience of one. And who is that? It's God. We have to live with a clear conscience before God. How many of y'all know you can't please everybody? <laughs> you can't. Hey, if Je did Jesus please everybody? <laughs> if Jesus couldn't do it, why do you think we can? And if that's what we're living our life to do is try to please everybody, we're going to be an ultimate failure. We, do, we please him. And he even says when your man's ways pleases him, even our enemies are at peace with us. Doesn't mean they like us. Just means they leave us alone. <laughs> they talk behind our back. Do things behind our back. They leave us alone. Doesn't mean they like you. But even they're at peace with us. Live with a clear conscience before God. He gazed and said, brothers, I've always lived with a clear conscience before God. Here's some principles that we can apply in living with. First thing is you call wrong, wrong. You call wrong. How many of y'all are tired of the morality in this world? It's your fault. I'm just saying. Seriously, it's our fault. Who did Jesus leave behind to be salt to change the flavor of this world? Yeah. Who did he leave as light to put light on the darkness so that the cockroaches ran, you know? Who, who did he leave to put the light there? Us. But how many of y'all hate confrontation? I'm not saying beating somebody over the head with a Bible. Every time, here you are walking around the chair today at the grocery, you know, the grocery store. And every time, don't be buying that! You know? That's not what I'm talking about. We do it all with the spirit of love, but we are the ones left behind to change the flavor to the flavor of Christ. How many of y'all saw something, just had an experience this week where you saw something, you felt like God maybe wanted you to say something, and you didn't? 
I can't, ever since I've been studying this, he keeps putting it in front of me. And I'm like, how can I say this in love? How can I do this in your loves? I don't want to, I'm not trying to be a jerk and beat somebody over the head with the Bible. That's not the point. But we are called to call wrong, wrong. Everybody say that, call wrong, wrong. Call wrong, wrong, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> call wrong, wrong. <laughs> Just don't order from the Chinese restaurant. <laughs> you were thinking that, Roger, because you're thinking like food just like me, man. Yeah, look what Paul did. Now, they say that Paul probably at this point in his life had very bad eye vision. He'd already been beaten a bunch of times, all kinds of stuff. They said his eyes were bad. They said... Um, just, there, there's a number of things. He wasn't in great health, but he was still kicking for Christ, man. And it says, so instantly, all right, what did Paul just say? I've lived with a clear conscience. Okay, so what do you think their initial response is for that clear conscience? You know what they did, Jared? They punched him in the face. <laughs> That's what the Bible teaches. It wasn't like, oh, stop that. You didn't. No. It says instantly, as soon as he said, a clear conscience for Christ. Boom! That's the way the Greek reads. They beat, they smacked Paul as hard as they could. Instantly, Ananias, who's not to be confused with Ananias, who was the head priest during Jesus' day, in that this is a dude who Josephus wrote was the most corrupt high priest ever. In fact, the dude stole from the common priest, stole the tithes. He was a friend of the Roman government, constantly playing both sides of it. Aren't you glad our politicians don't do that, man? <laughs> here they were playing. In fact, he loved the Roman government so much that in AD 66, before the temple was destroyed in AD 70, so for those four periods of time, there four years, there was a big riot, you know, fighting going on, and Rome was getting ready to just annihilate the Jews, and basically some uh, Jewish freedom fighters in AD 66 found Ananias hiding in a Roman hideout, and they killed him. He was so corrupt. He wasn't into the word of God. He wasn't into things of God. He was into himself. And so instantly, Ananias, the high priest, the most corrupt high priest, commanded those close to Paul, slap him on the mouth. When you read that in the Greek, I'm giving it to you in a, in a, in a nice little translation. In the Greek, dude, they smacked the crud out of him. Instantly, they smacked him. Hey, is there a problem in God's law with that? Is there a problem in Roman law with that? Yeah. But in God's law, you go back to the Pentateuch when God was teaching the legal system. And he said, he said, man, don't you harm anybody uh, unless you figure out the verdict. If somebody was guilty of most crimes in the Pentateuch, what was the, what was the penalty, Carl? Stoning death, right? Yes. But if they're not guilty of that, you come up with the penalty, but you don't judge anybody. You're not guilty or innocent. You're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty in this. So they broke the law right here. Instantly, this guy who could care less about the law, he commanded that those close to Paul slap him in the mouth. They punched him out. All right, what are you going to do, man? They punch you out, man. Well, it depends on what day you're talking, right, Zane? <laughs> you know? Paul said to him, God will slap you, pal. <laughs> you what? Hypocrite. White, yeah, what? Whitewashed sepulcher. Whitewashed sepulcher, yeah, because he calls them a whitewashed wall in some translations. And what that means is that you've got this nasty, dirty wall, but you take a, some beautiful white paint and paint over it. What is the wall? Is the wall clean now, or is the wall still a dirty, nasty wall? With some whitewash on it. And that's what he calls them. You hypocrite. 
And, and in fact, in the Greek, that word hypocrite is talking about an actor because they'd have actresses and they'd have like a, uh, you see the two faces, right? The picture of drama. And they would have a, 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 a wall where they would have the props or the stage. And behind it, they'd have all these masks. And one actor would go back there and he'd put on maybe a thing of a woman and act like a woman. Go back, put on the mask of a villain, act like the villain. In other words, that word hypocrite means that you put on different masks for different people to be different things. That's what he says. You're a hypocrite. Man, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. And God did slap him because in AD 66, he got taken out because of his lifelong hypocrisy. He said, what kind of judge are you that you break law? Now, we're going to find out he didn't know or possibly didn't know this was a high priest, maybe because of his eyesight, maybe because he didn't recognize him, maybe because this was an informal trial and he wasn't wearing his fancy high priest garb sitting in his fancy high priest seat. We don't know. But he said, what kind of judge? He knew he was a judge. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? So he called him out. He said, this is wrong. Do you think there are times when God wants us to tell somebody it's wrong? If we don't tell them, dude, I'm just saying, if, if I'm getting ready to walk into a giant pile of elephant poo and I don't see it, do I want somebody to tell me to stop walking? Santa, do you love me enough to say, stop walking? There's a giant pile of elephant poo. <laughs> that was goat poo. That's different. But seriously, how many of you have ever needed somebody to tell you something's wrong? Anybody here never need somebody to say, no, dude, there might be a better way. Or, man, here, fix it. We need each other to do that. That's part of helping each other see life from God's perspective. Do you think the world needs somebody telling them it's wrong? Yeah, that's what our job was. You sprinkle a handful of salt on whatever you're eating at lunch. Does it change the flavor? Absolutely. We're supposed to be a handful of Christ in whatever environment we're in. So one of the ways that Paul lived with a clear conscience is no matter who he was talking to, whatever situation he was in, wherever he was, if God told him to call out wrong, wrong, he called out wrong, wrong. And so I just want you to be aware of that today. Then maybe you see something. I'm not saying, you know, you're there bashing people ahead of the Bible. But what I am saying is I think there's a lot more that needs to go on than what's going on. We don't want conflict. They're not going to listen. They won't pay attention to it. It doesn't matter. If God tells you to say something, Jimmy, what do you do? If God doesn't tell you to say something, what do you do? You keep your mouth shut. But most of us are like, oh, yeah, God told me to keep my mouth shut. You didn't even ask him. <laughs> we need to ask. We need to ask, what do you want me to do, God? If you spot it as wrong, God may, who else is going to call out wrong, wrong? Linda, who else is going to call out wrong, wrong if you don't in that group? Nobody. And it's not comfortable for you, is it? Not at all. How many of y'all is it not comfortable to call wrong, wrong? You just as soon walked up. Yeah, that's what most of us are. But we need it for each other. The world needs it. So Paul said, "Who? what kind of judge are you? Break the law yourself by order and he's struck like that. So you got to call wrong, wrong, but also you got to call right, what? Right. Okay, so first one you got to call what? Wrong, wrong. 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 Then you got to call? Right, right. Right, right. Okay, one more time real quick. You got to call? Wrong, wrong. Right, right. Wrong, wrong, right, right. Okay, good. Is that hard to remember? This is easy. I told Seth, man, he's going to break the kids up. I said, dude, man, what I try to do for the adults is I try to break it down like I'm teaching the simplest little kid. And then most of the adults are going to, anyways, 
I'm not saying y'all are little kids, so I just gave away my secret, didn't I? No, I'm just joking. No, that's how I have to understand it. So you got to call out wrong, wrong, but you got to call out right, right. So watch what happens in this. Those standing near Paul said, do you dare insult the high priest? And let me ask you a question. Is there anything in the Pentateuch about insulting a high priest? Anything about insulting somebody who's in charge? Yeah, you bet there is. Plenty in there. But there's one especially about those in charge, those who are in, if you're in submission to somebody, you line up under them, do everything in your power to, to make them a success. Because who's going to hold the leadership accountable? God is. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go to your leadership and tell them things and say things that God, in fact, God, the leadership's counting on that. But the fact is, there's a difference between giving counsel and insulting somebody, isn't there? And, and, and Paul, so you're going to see, he said, they said, do you dare insult God's high priest? And all of a sudden, he's like, ooh, that's like telling me don't lie, don't steal, don't kill. Ooh, I just did it. So what does Paul do? What does Paul do? Does he justify it? Well, if you wouldn't have, if you would have been such a, if, is that what he does? No, he calls, dude, even if that guy's right and you're wrong, you call right, right. Look what he does with this. I am what? Sorry. How many of y'all have a hard time saying that? Anybody? Anybody? How many of you have a spouse that has a hard time saying, don't, don't do that. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> right? And, and we can usually say it, then we'll say, but, <laughs> anybody ever had it with a but? But if they wouldn't have, if this wouldn't have, if, no, dude, you know, what is, what is, are we taught by John in 1 John? He said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess means to agree with God. That's what the word confess means. It means, all right, God, I was wrong, but if, is that confession? No, I'm wrong and you're right, God. I'm wrong and you're right. And that's what Paul's saying here. I'm sorry. But he calls them brothers again. <laughs> that probably infuriated him. They were going to smack him again. But he's trying to get the gospel to him. I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was a high priest. Now, is Paul lying? I don't think so. We'll have to check this out on Godflix when we get to heaven. Or we can actually talk to Paul, probably, right there. But how many of y'all are, are pretty excited about the fact you're going to talk to Moses and Paul and all those guys? Isn't that going to be cool? And we're going to find out all our commentaries are wrong, right? <laughs> it's like, no, dude, I did not mean an apple like that. It was apple computer. It was prophecy. <laughs> you know, was like, I didn't realize he was a high priest. He didn't realize he was a high priest. Now, it could be because he was, he was, he was bad in his eyes, which many people said. He, he, it could be because the dude didn't have his priestly garment and his priestly seat. It wasn't an official you know, meeting that they were having, but it could be even sarcastically, wow, I didn't realize you were a priest acting like that. <laughs> That's one of the interpretations. But we got to give Paul some credit here. He said, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were a high priest. And he goes on and he backs it up on what he does by backing up with scripture. He says, for scripture says, you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. That's Old Testament. So Paul uses the word of God to convict himself and say, okay, I'm going to call wrong, wrong, but I'm going to be just as fast to call right, right, even if it applies to me. What if God would have said, Paul, you just broke my law, and Paul blew it off and went on to the next thing and justified it? Would he have a clear conscience before God? No. So if you're going to have a clear conscience before God, it's got to go both ways, dude. It's got to go both ways. You've got to call wrong, wrong. You've got to call right, right. And how do we know what's wrong, wrong, and right, right? His word. But again, it comes down the what? The child of God needs the spirit of God. 
to, in, uh, to help us apply the what? Because what happens if just the child of God dips his life into the word of God? What's the lens? What is the filter? Who interprets it? We interpret it through our flesh, our sinful. We interpret it through our own heart. What do we say about the heart? What did Jeremiah say about the heart? It's deceitful above all things. We, the child of God, needs the spirit of God to interpret the word of God. And that's the only way we're going to have a clear conscience before God. Because if we skip that middle part of the spirit of God, interpreting the word of God for us, we're going to be in big trouble. We're going to be stuck in tradition. We're going to be stuck in legalism. We're going to be stuck in liberalism. We're going to invent new stuff. God's spirit will never go against his word. But you've got to have God's spirit to make it alive and sharper than any two-edged sword and make it relevant to every situation you've got in life. Like Zane, you shared, he made it relevant to you this week, didn't he? Was that the spirit of God or was that just you in the flesh looking at the word of God? It was the spirit of God. Roger, when you get hit in the head with a sledgehammer, yeah. is that just you and the word of God? No. Dude, that's the spirit of God saying, batter up, buddy, because that's the only way your hard head's going to listen. And we're all guilty there, too. I'm not just picking on Roger. So I said, man, I'm sorry, brothers. The scripture says, that's our final authority. You must not speak evil of any of your rulers. So we've got to call wrong, wrong. Got to call right, right. But look at this. We've also got to be ready for God to redirect our steps. Check this out. And, and so Paul, his plan was to share the gospel. Is there anything wrong with sharing the gospel, Dr. Dave? Do you love doing anything more than sharing the gospel? But are there sometimes when God says, okay, it's not time? you got to back off and we're going to do something else. Yeah, absolutely. Look what happened. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees. Some were Pharisees. And he shouted, and now the Sadducees were the ones who ran the temple, ran the tabernacle. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. They didn't believe in eternal life. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. They're the ones running the church at the time. Okay, they didn't believe in anything supernatural at all. That's why they believed that if they were rich and they had a way to make money, God was blessing them. And those who were poor didn't have God's blessing on them because it was all about this life. And some were Pharisees. Pharisees believed in most everything we believe except that Christ is the only way to salvation. And some of the Pharisees did believe that eventually. Nicodemus was one of them. So there were Sadducees, Pharisees. And Paul shouted, brothers, I'm a Pharisee. As were my ancestors. I'm on trial because my hope is in the what? Resurrection. The resurrection. And that was it. That's what he's saying. Jesus rose from the dead. And that's the gospel. He rose, he, he rose from the dead so he could live in us. And he said that's what it's in. He did know this was going to divide them. But I'm believing he got this direction from God. He knew he wasn't going to get a fair trial from the Sanhedrin. So he knew he was supposed to eventually get to Rome. So God gave him a way to get out of this trial with the Sanhedrin and get to Rome. The divide, this divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees. Now, did Paul do that on purpose? I don't know. I think he's just doing what God told him to do. And when you do what God tells you to do, is there ever division? Yeah, go try to call wrong, wrong, and right, right, and do it in a spirit of love for the purpose of reconciliation. And it doesn't always work out. A lot of times it does, but it doesn't always. It divided the Pharisees against the Sadducees. The Sadducees say there's no resurrection, no angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all of these. So all of a sudden there's World War III going on. So there was a, well, I guess it's the original World War I. The others weren't here yet. So there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees jumped up, began to argue forcibly. We see nothing wrong with this guy. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. 
I think they're giving a little jab to the Sadducees there. But they believed in that, and they're like, perhaps he, perhaps he is telling the truth. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart. Was Paul being afraid of torn, being torn apart? No, all Paul wanted to do is what God wanted him to do. And if he got torn apart, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord is what he tells us later. So he ordered his soldiers, this is the, the army commander, the soldiers to go and rescue him by force. Take him back to the fortress. So this, new, this trial's done. So again, we do, we got to call wrong what? Wrong. We got to call right? right. Uh, we've got to be ready for God to redirect our plans. That's what he did for Paul. Anybody ever been too stubborn to let God redirect your plans? I am. I have. Yeah. We've got to be willing to allow God to redirect our plans because that's what God wants to do. And when he redirects our plans, whether they make sense or don't make sense, we've always got to rest in God's sovereignty. There's that word rest. Rest doesn't mean you're not doing any work. Rest means your mind, your emotions, your, your spirit is resting because you know God's in control. I don't have to figure this out. I've just got to follow. There's a big difference. Isn't there a lot of pressure when you've got to figure it all out? How many of y'all figured it all out and the, and the rules got changed? <laughs> the circumstances got changed. Are your whole plans just sunk? It will never sink. You just follow. You follow. You follow. And how many steps at a time does he want us to follow? What do you want me to do now, God? Do it. What do you want me to do now, God? Do it. Instead of, what do you want me to do now? What do you want me to do now? What do you want me to do now? Oh, I'm doing this for you, God. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing it. It's like, what do you want me to do now and do it? And that's it. And we rest in his sovereignty. That's all Paul is doing. We try. How many of y'all try to figure it out? You control freaks. Anybody? Can I see your hands? Would you just admit to that? Yes. And we get so upset if it's not going our way. Now, I'm not saying we don't make our plans, because God does say in Proverbs, make plans, but don't get ticked off when I change them. That's the Eddie paraphrase. That's what he says. It's not ungodly to make plans and to you know, make provisions and so on, but don't get upset when he changes it. Always be ready for him to redirect our plans, but we've always got to rest in God's sovereignty. Look at this. This is so awesome. I hope this verse encourages somebody. When I thought I was only going to preach on the first verse, I thought next week I'd only preach on this verse. But look at this. That doesn't mean we're going to take a bunch of time for it. But check this out. That night, here's Paul sitting in, back in jail, and he's wondering what's going on. Anybody in your life right now wonder what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? There he was. He's sitting in jail right now wondering what's going on. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul. Hey, does God still appear to us? Not physical, not, not, not in the flesh. I'm just going to tell you, if you, you see him physically there, that's not him. I think next time we see him in person is going to be at the rapture. <laughs> but how does he appear to us, man? He speaks to our hearts, man. How many of y'all had an appearance from God this week where you know it was undeniably him speaking to your heart, <laughs> speaking to your head, you know, whether it was a sledgehammer or it was a pillow fight. <laughs> it was just, you know. But the Lord appeared to Paul and said, what does he say? Be what? Encouraged. encouraged. Hey, what is it when you encourage somebody? Grace, when you encourage somebody, what are you putting in somebody? In courage. Yes. That's awesome. You're putting courage in them. And so who better to put courage in you than God? Isn't that what God wants to do when you're following him? He wants to put courage in you to keep following him. So first of all, he comes and he encourages him. But how did he encourage him? Look what he says. 
just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem. Wow. How many people would hire Paul based on how successful his witness was in Jerusalem? The dude caused two riots, all right? It's like, how many search teams would hire him based on his resume? Oh, let's see what you did in Jerusalem, man. You had all these brand new believers, and oh, you caused a riot among, oh, and uh, oh, and you were high-fiving and dooting the, the priests? What? You know? A success is not based on the results. A success is based on doing what God tells you to do. That's what success is. How many of y'all know in your Christian walk there's a lot of stuff that God wants you to do that's not quantifiable? <laughs> a lot of stuff that you can't write numbers down and give proof to that it was successful, you know? But lives were changed. People's lives were changed. Your life was changed. Being successful was doing what God has called you to do. Look what God encouraged when he says, as much as they think you're a loser, <laughs> and you started riots, and you didn't get to lead one person to Christ. You didn't get to lead these Sanhedrin who are, are believing heathen things. You didn't get to lead them to Christ. He said, in my eyes, you're a what? You're a winner. Everybody do that, man. <laughs> you're not a loser. You're a winner. You're a winner. Come on, just so I know you're awake, man. You're a what, Roger? No, you're a winner, buddy. You got it, Gary? All right, come on, everybody, just throw it up. Help me out. We're almost done here, man. Throw it up and just say, I'm a winner. Yes. I know some of y'all are too cool to do that, but that's all right. I want you to look at yourself in the privacy of your own home this afternoon, Alec, and just go, I'm a winner. <laughs> if you're doing what God wants you to do, that's what he's saying, dude. I don't care what the results look like. You do what I want you to do, and I'm a winner. The whole world, your neighborhood, everybody else thinks you're a loser, but I think you're a winner. Just as you've been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you've been successful, Paul. We don't have the numbers to back it up, but you're being successful. He said, just as you were doing this in Jerusalem, he said, you must preach the what? In where? <laughs> so was Paul going to die in Jerusalem? Were they going to crucify Paul? Were they going to stone Paul? Was any, where was Paul going to end up, Roger? In Rome. <laughs> Oh, in heaven, ultimately, yeah, but here he says he knows he's at least going to end up in Rome. Because <clears throat> God's not done with him yet in all of this. You can trust in the sovereignty, no matter how bad it got for Paul in Jerusalem, he knew he was going to end up at least where? In Rome. And ultimately, he was going to end up in heaven. And isn't that what it's all about, knowing that we're going to ultimately end up in heaven? Gary's going to end up in heaven, bro? I am. Amen. <laughs> Yeah, are you looking forward to it? I am. Are you encouraging others with that? I am. Yes, because it's way better than this place, way better. And if y'all would just ditch those essential oils and vitamins, I'm sorry. <laughs> y'all would start eating like me, dude, you'd get there sooner. No, I am not vouching for any of that. We do have to be good stewards with what God has given us. And yes, I am doing the best I can with the flesh right now, believe it or not. But seriously, man, that's where our home is. He's, you, I, I got plans for you, Paul. I'm not done. You're going to preach the good news in Rome. First of all, Paul, I'm with you. Second of all, Paul, you're a success. And third of all, Paul, I ain't done with you. So you're a winner, you're a winner not a loser, man, in all of this. Here it is. So to live with a clear conscience before God. Here's some things that Paul did that we can learn from. To live with that clear conscience before God, we must call wrong wrong. Be the salt and light we're supposed to be. We must call right, right. 
Even if that means it convicts us, we're wrong. We, we, that's one of the greatest things you could ever do. We've got to call wrong, wrong. We've got to call right, right. We must be ready for God to redirect our steps, even if it's going to mess up everything we've already planned. We've got to do it. And then we have to be always rest in his sovereignty. Y'all know he's in control. He is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, really just making this alive to me. Um, I am not anybody else's Holy Spirit here, and they should be grateful for that. Um, but I pray your Holy Spirit, Father, would take this lesson, take this message, take your word. And um, I pray that you're the, for the child of God, that you as the Spirit of God would take the word of God and show us what you want us to do so we could have that clear conscience. Pray, even if that messes up things we already believe that we figured out in our heads, in our own hearts, I pray that we would listen to what you want us to do. So, Father, I pray that as children of God, we would allow you as the Spirit of God to interpret for us the Word of God. And that in this world, we could be the salt and light we need because we have a clear conscience with you. And I pray that because of that, other people would see life from God's perspective, from salvation through sanctification all the way to glorification. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.